back to New World next week. I'm James Corbett at CorbettReport.com. And I'm James Evan Pilato for MediaMonarchy.com. For you must remember that in those days, children were always brought up by their parents and not in state conditioning centers. We've got that story plus face scans for fondle slabs. But first, Russia's $400 billion pipeline project launch this coming via oilprice.com. The presidents of Russia and China have officially inaugurated the Power of Siberia National Gas Pipeline that will eventually deliver 38 billion cubic meters annually to China with the full capacity to be reached sometime just in 2025. The deal for the pipeline was signed between Gazprom, the big Russian company, and CNPC, which sounds like some fake news outlet we'd make fun of here in the States, but CNPC is actually the China National Petroleum Corporation. Gazprom and CNPC signed the deal back in 2014 for a period of 30 years, which makes this around worth $400 billion. Construction began that, that same year. Costs were calculated at $12 billion for the construction works and another $6.7 billion for the development of the fields that the gas will come from. Russia has the largest natural gas reserves in the world, while most favored nation will likely this year become the largest importer of said fuel. For Russia, it'll open up a huge new market to supplement and eventually maybe even overtake its key European market. For China, it'll ensure a steady supply of natural gas amid fast-growing demand and help it to avoid shortages some northern provinces suffered two years ago due to a lack of supply and distribution infrastructure. James, this looks like a, a whole lot of Russian collusion going on with China, eh? Exactly right. And it is interesting to see the various ways that this story is handled in the mainstream and in the supposed quasi-alternative media. Uh, and the ways that they're framing this issue. For example, elsewhere on oilprice.com, from which we derive that original article, there's another article about how this affects the China-U.S. trade deal negotiations, and if China is getting more uh, gas and oil from uh, Russia, then they will be less inclined to make deals with uh, the U.S., or at least ones that lock them into some sort of trading relationship where they have to buy a certain amount of LNG from the U.S. or something like that, because, well, they have their bread buttered on the Russian side now, don't they? And so they have some strategic advantage. And there's that aspect to this story. Whereas in the quasi-erstwhile alternative independent media, I've seen uh, stories praising this. Yay! You know, now China is and Russia, they're coming together and they're getting off of the American slave grid system, you know, the IMF, World Bank, monetary uh, control and all of this. Yeah, okay, yeah, I see that aspect of it. But it's, it's almost like the excluded aspect of all of this is that this is the completely, 100%, perfectly predicted and predictable result of the encirclement of China and Russia and the closing off of various trading relationships and the military pressure, it's almost as if China and Russia have been driven into each other's arms so that despite the fact that since the Sino-Russian split half a century ago, they, that things have not always been cozy between uh, Moscow and Beijing, but now they are cozying up because, well, it just makes all sorts of sense, economic, geopolitical, military sense, all of it converges on China and Russia, of course. They have to become partners. And they have to, of course, become the, the backbone of whatever this alternative structure that's built, being built up is, bricks or whatever, whatever it ultimately settles out as being. Certainly Russia and China are going to be a core part of that axis. And, and when you think about it, hmm, it's almost as if they're constructing a new world order. It's almost as if you can't construct a new world order without 
destroying the old world order. And it's almost as if the people who have been concertedly working for half a century at the very least to bring about this particular vision of a new world order are doing this deliberately in order to create the other side, the, uh, the opposition from which they can get their thesis and antithesis for the synthesis to emerge, the dialectic. I don't know. Call me crazy. It's just I've been waving my arms for years and years screaming about this and how China and Russia, of course, are not going to be the saviors as as some in the quasi-alternative independent media want to frame it as, as if they're going to be the great people to free us from this um, uh, post-World War II Pax Americana. Uh, which is really all-out total war. Uh, no, that's not, that's not what this is about. And in fact, the same people who are controlling the old world order are controlling this new vision of the new world order that's coming into view. This is an incredibly important part of that. It's an important story, a por- important stepping stone on that path, along with things like this China's swift alternative and, and uh, Russia now trying to wall off their internet and things like this. These are stories that are part along the way towards creation, creating that new world order. But newsflash, the, the new world order is not going to be any better for you and me than it is under the old world order. And this is an example of how this is being prepped and brought about and i think we should we we should think about that a little bit before we start cheerleading these types of moves yeah so it's so it's almost like the powers that shouldn't be have kind of written this all down and kind of planned it out and are working on essentially get 50 years at the, at the very least of working on that plan i have seen a little bit already james you, you kind of hinted at it right there on the sidebar recently of you know russia plans to wall off and make their own internet they're leaving the internet I also had a story just earlier this week about Swift Bricks, about the Bricks Bank looking at cryptocurrency at possible ways to, again, sort of avoid the international banksters, as it were. I think that Swift Bank story, as well as your most recent questions for Corbett, and let me say I do enjoy that you're now making those a shorter weekly thing, a little more bite-sized, and of course is able, you're able to answer a whole heck of a lot more questions, I think, in the long run. The most recent one about Exxon knew. What did Exxon knew and when did they knew it? I think we should include the links to that as well, as all the world is a big uh, grand chessboard. James, our second story here on this episode 394 of New World Next Week, I think, segues perfectly there from that first story. And I think this is another one where all three stories, I think, kind of hit our, our, I don't know, just kind of our, our classic main topics here in New World Next Week. Mobile phone usage tied to facial recognition under new Chinese law. This tweeted at us by our good buddy and video editor and new papa, Brock West. Chinese authorities have come up with a new law that requires users looking to sign up for a new mobile number to consent to a facial recognition scan. Although the new law just went into effect, mobile users in the country told various media outlets that Chinese telcos have been trying to push customers to submit to facial recognition scans for quite a while now. According to the government, the new law is intended to help prevent fraud in a country that's heavily dependent on smartphones, with mobile phone numbers often serving as part of a resident citizen's official identity. See see the future coming down the not-too-distant road here? Previously, customers only needed to submit photocopies of their national ID cards, you guys. That was all they had to do and online platforms used an additional factor to verify users' identities. Local media in the country spoke to lawyers and experts who said that the average consumer in the country is 
starting to feel like the, the water in this frog boil is really getting warm, but maybe I'll just continue to sit in it and chill out. Oh wait, it didn't say that. They're getting increasingly worried about the fact that a number of mobile apps collect facial and other data without any express user agreement. Further, and this is pretty interesting, the misuse of data isn't something that criminal law in China provides protection against anyway, not expressly. In the coming months, more regulations are expected to ensure data privacy and protection without hindering the country's progress with technology. James, I got some grief on the tweets via the streaming companies are looking at thumbprint. Oh, that's crazy. Suppose this is crazy as well, huh? Yes, and this is exactly what we were just talking about in that first story. The idea that the Chinese-led New World Order, or the, the Chinese-Russian opposition to the uh, Washington consensus is going to be the thing to save us all. No, this is the vision. This is precisely the vision that they want to bring about. The completely, utterly, totally controlled society where everything you do is going to be tracked and monitored directly by the government out in the open. They don't even need to hide it. And what are you going to do if... If you, you even so much complain about the traffic cops and the way that they operate, I don't know if you saw that video that's been circulating on social media, the guy chained to the chair and being interrogated by, by police because on social media, he made a couple of posts that were complaining about the traffic cops there in China. Don't do that. So this is the vision of the future for those who are touting this Russian-Chinese opposition to the Washington consensus. Yay! And, of course, the real point of this is it's all tied in behind the scenes. And I'll throw in a link to a uh, recent Zero Hedge article. Here are more U.S. tech giants propping up China's vast surveillance state. Yes, of course, it's all one big corporate, governmental, military conglomerate at the very top that all works together. This all goes back to China and the New World Order and other things I've been talking about for many years. There are all sorts of interconnected layers to this. These players are in bed with each other and they they dangle out these carrots for you. Oh, don't worry, the bricks will come and save you, or whatever it is, this stupid false hope that they try to give you so that you will willingly go into this system. And yeah, people laugh at the thumbprinting to get your streaming service until it happens, and then it's, well, of course, I mean, this is the best way to do it. That's exactly how that kind of psyop works. And unfortunately, this face uh, scanning to get on the net is not too far behind. It looks... It looks unreal. The thing that you were talking about, I did just see it this morning. The guy strapped to... It doesn't even look like, you know, you, you see in movies, somebody gets, you know, belted to the table or their hands are cuffed. He looks like he's in some sort of high-tech torture contraption. I'm sure we can edit that in. It, it, it looks unreal. And that was just making the rounds today. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is basically, I think, it's going to keep kind of ramping up. And it's going to really hit a, hit a real peak next year here in the States for the big America's Next Top President 2020 game show. And there's going to be more fights. And I think it's going to get to the point. And just like we have the employees of Google saying, oh, we don't want to work on the China project anymore. We protest. Oh, but I'll go back to work on the thing that's going to keep, you know, that's essentially going to be the project for the States. I just have to you know, laugh at it, unfortunately. So this is all going to ramp up. It's all going to probably get pretty heated next year. And I wouldn't be surprised if that gets us closer to the point of, well, I guess we're just going to have to have driver's licenses for the Internet. And again, people are going to beg for it. So whether or not they're going to need a big I-9-11 event or if it'll just be kind of the slow war of contrition, James, I think the end result's going to be the exact same thing. Our third and final story here on New World Next Week, episode 394, is the hat trick to this technocratic episode. 
Scientists say artificial wombs could replace women. This coming via technocracy.news, and it links back to the original source, which is really excited about the idea. The idea of growing babies outside the body has inspired novels and movies for decades. Which I would wonder if they don't have that possibly the other way around, car before the horse. Research groups now around the world are exploring the possibility of artificial gestation. For instance, one group successfully grew a lamb in an artificial womb for four weeks. Australian researchers have also experimented with artificial gestation for lambs and sharks. And in recent weeks in the Netherlands, they've received 2.9 million euros, that's 466 million fiat American dollars, to develop a prototype for gestating premature babies. It's an actual needful thing. It's important to consider some of the ethical issues surrounding this technology. Growing a baby outside of the womb is known as ectogenesis or exogenesis, and we're already using a form of it. This is how they sort of get you into the idea. How could you be against helping, you know, old ladies or, or you know, sick babies? When premature infants are transferred to humidicribs, which is a new one on me, James, to continue their development in a neonatal unit, that's partial ectogenesis. But an artificial womb could extend the period a fetus could be gestated outside the body. Eventually, we might be able to do away with human wombs altogether. This may sound far-fetched, but many scientists working in reproductive biotechnology believe that with the necessary scientific and legal support, which they'll write later retroactively, full ectogenesis is a real possibility for the future. Now, when you sent me some story ideas for this New World Next Week episode, James, I saw just the, the URL link, and I immediately was like, oh, this is exactly what they do in Brave New World. That's what I thought of before I even clicked it. So then I opened the article, and I opened this episode with a quote from Huxley's instruction manual. Technocracy News essentially mentions it as well. They say, technocrats invent because they can, not because there's a pressing need to do so. This is a precursor to incubator reproduction as described in Huxley's 1932 book, Brave New World. And perhaps most controversially, Technocracy News says this is already linked to gay men being able to have babies. James. Let's walk around. You tell them everything, Mr. Foster. Mr. Foster duly told them. Told them of the growing embryo on its bed of peritoneum. Uh, made them taste the rich blood surrogate on which it fed. Explained why it had to be stimulated with placentin and thyroxin. Told them of the corpus luteum extract. Showed them the jets through which at every twelfth meter from zero to twenty forty it was automatically injected. Spoke of those gradually increasing doses of pituitary administered during the final ninety-six meters of their course. Described the artificial maternal circulation installed in every bottle at meter one twelve. Showed them the reservoir of blood surrogate, the centrifugal pump that kept the liquid moving over the placenta and drove it through the synthetic lung and waste product filter. Referred to the embryo's troublesome tendency to anemia, to the massive doses of hog stomach extract and fetal foal's liver with which, in consequence, it had to be supplied. Showed them the simple mechanism by means of which, during the last two meters out of every eight, all the embryos were simultaneously shaken into familiarity with movement. Hinted at the gravity of the so-called trauma of decanting and enumerated the precautions taken to minimize, by a suitable training of the bottled embryo, that dangerous shock. Told them of the test for sex carried out in the neighborhood of meter 200. Explained the system of labeling a T for the males, a circle for the females, and for those who were destined to become free mardens, a question mark, black on a white ground. 
For of course, said Mr. Foster, in the vast majority of cases, fertility is merely a nuisance. One fertile ovary in twelve hundred, that would really be quite sufficient for our purposes. But we want to have a good choice. And of course, one must always have an enormous margin of safety. So we allow as many as 30% of the female embryos to develop normally. The others get a dose of male sex hormone every 24 meters for the rest of the course. Result, they're decanted as free martins. Structurally quite normal, except, he had to admit, that they do have the slightest tendency to grow beards. But sterile, guaranteed sterile, which brings us at last, continued Mr. Foster, out of the realm of mere slavish imitation of nature into the more, much more interesting world of human invention. He rubbed his hands, for of course they didn't content themselves with merely hatching out embryos. Any cow could do that. We also predestine and condition. We decant our babies as socialized human beings, as alphas or epsilons, as future sewage workers or future... He was going to say future world controllers, but correcting himself said future directors of hatcheries instead. I'm glad I'm not an epsilon. <laughs> <laughs> so so they conditioned you to believe. Exactly. Uh, this, I mean, this is this is it. This is pretty much everything all kind of coming to a head. It all becomes so very obvious. Um, I, I, I know I went over the story. I found it on my own archives. Artificial womb helps premature lamb fetuses grow for four weeks. I'm not sure if we talked about it here on New World next week, but pretty much once you've ever seen that illustration, you can't really unsee it. James. Yeah. And I've uh, I've mentioned it several times in the podcast in the past, but if you haven't listened to uh, Huxley's talk on the, is it the ultimate revolution or the final revolution? I think the ultimate revolution. Please give that a listen. Um, Huxley was an insider who knew what he was talking about. Absolutely. Um, it's just the last couple of notes here at the end. It's funny you even mentioned the part about like being cattle. I had a story just yesterday on the morning show about putting virtual reality goggles on cows because they're depressed, because they're in factory farms, that this might make them happier. Again, the goggles for cattle. I Back in the day, here's some nerd notes at the end. I was in the sci-fi book club in high school, and I mostly used it, actually. They had some really good hardcover versions of some of the Sandman and Watchmen and some of the kind of classic graphic novels. They also had a small selection of what was called old-time radio, OTR, and they had this episode from CBS from 1950, I forget, and it's Brave New World, and it's narrated by Aldous Huxley, and it has a live score by famed film composer Bernard Herrmann, Orson Welles, all that. It's just a fantastic piece of work, and that's really, I think, what got me into old-time radio, but it's also what got me initially into the works of Huxley long before 9-11, long before we were really diving heavily into this. So that's a perfect way for me to segue to say I play an hour of old-time radio each and every day as part of my news, music, memes, and more. I stream live Monday through Friday, 9 to 5 Mountain Time at MediaMonarchy.com. I would love for folks to come check it out, James. All right, we're going to leave it there for this week. Looking forward to next week, James. Thanks again. Thanks, buddy. Take care. <laughs>